Good morning once again. We're glad that y'all are with us today. I have a question. Maybe two or three. I don't know. What's your favorite verse of Scripture? You don't have to answer, but just think about it for a while. What's your favorite verse? The Bible is filled with many verses that appeal to us. I know that what they tell us, if you search that out on the Internet, John 3.16 is probably the most quoted verse in all of Scripture. The easiest verse in Scripture to remember is found in John chapter 11, Jesus wept. Just two words. If you can't memorize that one, we've got problems. What is your favorite verse? Or maybe better yet, what is your favorite, I don't know, your favorite theme, your favorite teaching in the Bible? That's much more broad because it takes us out of the realm of finding one particular favorite verse to maybe a theme, a teaching. And I think obviously salvation is going to be there, the love of God, the faithfulness of God, those will be there as some of our favorites. But no matter what your favorite is, I can honestly tell you I think that your favorites will vary from time to time. From day to day, year over year. Why would that be? I mean, it's the same words. And the reason they change is because we change. We're not the same people that we were a week ago. And maybe that's just a little extreme, but maybe 10 years ago. Maybe 20 years ago. Why would that be? Because we have experienced things that have changed us. And so, oftentimes, our favorite verse of Scripture, our favorite teaching of Scripture, our favorite passage is going to change. That's why, as you're reading the Bible, something that you've read many times before will just kind of jump off the page. I was reading something that a preacher that I'm acquainted with on one of my... Facebook groups was writing about a passage that said, I'd never thought about this before. I really hadn't seen it before in Luke chapter eight. There was a 12 year old girl who was ill and had died and Jesus went and healed her, raised her from the dead. But as he was going, there was a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. And she just knew if I could just reach out and touch the hem of his garment. Should be cured. In both cases, you know, what impacted him, or at least in the second, of the woman was that for 12 years she was unclean. She wasn't a leper, but because of the issue of blood, she was unclean. And so she couldn't be take part in society as normal, clean people could. I don't know why this jumped off the page for him. But I know that I've experienced that same thing. And I know that you have as well. And so we come to the throne of God changed from day to day. Maybe not significant changes that we recognize unless there's much going on over a period of time. And we say, wow, how did I get through that? And we know it was the hand of God. And it's when we go through those 
valleys, if you will. I think David referred to them in 23rd Psalm as the valley of the shadow of death. And I just use that as a descriptor to those times when it's dark and it seems like it's not going to end and it's just tough. Does God really care? Is he aware of what's going on in my life, in your life? Now, you can read the Old Testament, you can read the New Testament, I think you realize that God does care. He cares a great deal. Turn on my timer so I know what had time has elapsed. Because somebody might want to get out of here. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> but hey, we'll go for sudden death and we'll just play longer, we'll go into overtime. God's aware. God saw what was going on in Genesis. And I don't know what verses you might think of when I just say Genesis. There are probably several. But one of the verses I think of at first is to show God's awareness and the affairs of what's going on with us is the very beginning of creation. He saw that it was not good that man should be alone. And so he decided to make a helper for him, one that was suitable for him. He caused Adam to go to sleep, and he formed from Adam. He took one of his ribs, closed it up with the place with its flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. God saw. And when you read the Old Testament, you realize that God was aware of what was going on in his servants and in his world. He was aware when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3. In Genesis 4, he was aware that Cain killed his brother Abel. In Genesis 6, when he determined, I'm going to kill everyone in this world and start all over, it says that Noah found favor, found grace, one translation, in the eyes of the Lord. And so he planned a plan to redeem the world through Noah. You can read in those passages how God cares, and how God is watching throughout the history, the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Joseph's life when he was down in Egypt, even though that he was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he was sold into taken into prison. Because of a false charge that was raised against him, God was aware and God was using him. And Joseph was the one that said to his brothers, you meant this for harm, but God meant it for good. God was aware of what's going on in life. In 1978, at the age of 22, Julie Gold moved to New York to pursue her dream as a singer songwriter. She struggled with various jobs and fears and self-doubt. Part-time jobs, flea market sales, just doing whatever she could to make it. No benefits in those. And finally, in 1984, she took a job at HBO as a secretary. Gave her some financial stability and security, but she continued to dream and to write songs. In 1985, just before her 30th birthday, her parents sent me, she says, the piano I grew up playing. She had served on a juror as an emotionally trying case. Uh, her brother had just gotten married. She was questioning her life. 
wondering about her future. She takes the day off when the piano gets there. It had been cold and it had been freighted in. The people that moved it in said, don't play it for 24 hours because it's been cold. We don't want you to damage it. I imagine that was hard because this was her piano that she played as a child in her growing up years. And so she went into her apartment. She's up on the loft in the bed where her bed was above it, looking down on the piano. She checked on it all night, she says, to make sure it was really there. The next day, when it was time when she could play it, she went down and sat at the keyboard, at the keys, and started playing. And she said, I wrote the song from a distance. It just poured out of me. On one hand, it took me two hours to write the song. On the other hand, it took me 30 years. Pick whichever hand makes you happy. I love them both. From a Distance was recorded, best known to me, by Bette Midler in 1990. About the time we went into the first Persian Gulf War. Just to remember, to remind you of the verses of this song, it says, From a distance, the world looks blue and green. The snow-capped mountains white. From a distance, the ocean meets the stream and the eagle takes to flight. From a distance, there is harmony and it echoes through the land. It is the voice of hope, it is the voice of peace, it is the voice of every man. From a distance we all have enough, and no one is in need. And there are no guns, no bombs, no disease, and no hungry mouths to feed. From a distance we are instruments marching in a common band, playing songs of hope, playing songs of peace. They are the songs of every man. God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. From a distance, you look like my friend, even though we are at war. From a distance, I cannot comprehend what all this fighting is for. From a distance, there is harmony, and it echoes through the land. It is the hope of hopes, the love of loves, that is the heart of every man. It is the hope of hopes. It is the love of loves, the song of every man. And God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. God sees what's going on in your lives today. He knows where you've come from. He knows where you're going. You know, as I look over the life of David and Saul and see some of these things that we read about, God knew. I think about how Jacob bought his soul, bought his brother's birthright, and took his his brother's blessing. Jacob was the one that was promised, that received the promise from God in prophecy. I don't know how God would have worked it out, but he would have worked it out had Jacob not done what he did. Because God had planned it that way, that it would be Jacob, it would be Esau who would serve the young. Jacob did it his way. He didn't know what he was doing at the time. He just took an opportunity, maybe because it was his father's favorite, and this is a way to get a dig at his brother. God was watching. He knew what was going on. But he had a plan. We're studying in the adult class about 
David, who is noted to be a man after God's own heart, because that's what God was seeking. In 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, you're familiar with the story, more so if you've been in our class, you're familiar with the story. Saul took upon himself because the Philistines they were going to battle against, and the troops were leaving, and Samuel had not gotten there, and so he freaks out. He says, I've got to offer the sacrifice, and Samuel's not here. So I'll seek God's favor by offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. I don't know what was going on in his mind. But when Samuel gets there to greet him, he says, what have you done? And he said, I saw the people scattering. I, he said, I just got afraid. I freaked out. He said, I had to seek favor of the Lord. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering." Samuel said, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be a prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord, your, the Lord commanded. And we read of the tragedy in chapter 14 of a rash vow that Saul made. In chapter 15, he failed to kill all the Amalekites. We understand those things. But the significant point here is that it says the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. That tells me that God's watching. He's looking. It's in Second Chronicles. And we talked about this just briefly today in mention of it. Read it in chapter 16 of Second Chronicles in verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and, run to and fro throughout the whole earth. To give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. God is watching. He's watching over us from a distance. The heart weighs less than a pound. It beats about 100,000 times a day. And if you suddenly lost the function of your heart, (laughs) that would not be a good thing. Life would be over. Jesus spoke a great deal about the heart. And the heart is a metaphor. For inner life. In fact, as we studied a few weeks ago, a few months ago, in the Shema, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Give all of your allegiance to Him. With every bit of your being. The heart is, for the Hebrew mind, the Eastern mind, that's was the body of, that's where the soul was. That was the mind, everything, because it came out of the inner parts. They didn't understand about the brain and how it functions. So it became a metaphor for the inner life. The seed of physical, spiritual, and mental life. It's the center and source of our whole life. The thinking, feeling, and willing. And God is concerned about your heart. And he wants it to be healthy. So what I want to do is to have a short series about the heart that God is seeking. I have some qualities that I'll share with you today, and I want to build on those in the next few weeks. I may take and elaborate, you know, take three of them and elaborate each one of them as a point. And haven't decided that yet, but that's kind of the way it's looking. What qualities is God seeking? 
Well, one of them which is a humble heart. Humble before God. God has told us that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. James chapter 6, James chapter 4, verses 6 and verses 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Peter said the same thing in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. A humble heart is one that will not rebel against God. It will take things into consideration and seek to follow God. We also be reverent toward God. Very spiritually minded. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. Reverent. I think David learned those qualities as he was out pasturing the flock. That's what brought him into closeness to God. I don't know what God was seeing from a distance. But my image in my mind is that of a father looking out over one of his children. And he sees something unique about him and how his mind isn't plotting about evil things or maybe his, you know, you know, thinking of idle thoughts. But he's focusing on how can I be pleasing to you, God? Showing trust and appreciation for the things of God, the protection of God. We know that David, when he went before Goliath, when he was telling Saul, I can do this, that he said, I killed the bear and the lion with my bare hands. He was focused on God, trusting him. And that's my next point. He trusted him. In Psalm 27, in verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Jacob didn't have to do the things he did. Abraham didn't have to lie to Pharaoh about Rebekah being his sister. God was going to take care of him. He did it because he didn't trust. He was looking at the outside saying, Oh, they're going to see my wife beautiful and they're going to want to kill me and take her. So say you're my sister because I fear for my life. God had promised him. Genesis 12. He made the same promise and Isaac did the same thing. And I'm not certain if Jacob did that. But I know Isaac did. They were afraid. They didn't trust. Now maybe ultimately they did learn and grow in trust. But it takes time. It takes experience. David loved God. Psalm 18 and verse 1 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. But I'm really fond of the very first psalm. It doesn't say it's a psalm of David, as I turn to it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That delight is going to be, I love God because I want to be pleasing to him. I want to do these things that will honor him and give him the glory. Sometimes I wonder, do we tell God that we love him enough? And then there's faithfulness to God. I would suggest that, and faithfulness does not necessarily mean, and it would be equated to, sinless perfection. We know we're going to fall. Knowing that doesn't make it easier. It's not rationalizing it, but we still strive to reach the goal. 
the standard that God has set for us. The psalmist said, the 119th Psalm, give me understanding in verse 34. 119 in verse 34, give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all of my heart. Faithfulness is a lifetime commitment. It's not a commitment just to be here on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday nights. Faithfulness to God is to be faithful to Him on Monday morning when I'm going to work. Or while I'm at work. Or when I'm down at the cafe having coffee with friends. Because I don't have to work anymore. Faithfulness says, I am going to follow God in all things. And then, one after God's own heart is going to be not like Saul. I wonder what it would have been like had Saul said to Samuel, You're right, Samuel, I sinned. I am so sorry. What can I do? What shall I do? Pray for me. Intercede for me. I don't know what God... Isn't that what David did after he killed Bathsheba? He didn't try to rationalize it away. He said, but Sam, you don't know, I understand how good looking she was. And how I was here. And I just couldn't help myself. That's what Saul said. said, I forced myself to offer these sacrifices. David could have rationalized his actions. But when Nathan told him the parable, the story of a man who had one little sheep that was his favorite lamb. He raised it up and it was just like a child to him. And his rich landowner came and stole that sheep and killed it to provide a feast for his friend. He said, that man should be killed. That's pretty harsh judgment for sheep napping. You know, sheep rustling. But anyway, that man should be killed. Nathan says, you're the man. David said, ah, you're right, I am. I am so sorry. He can read all of that in 2 Samuel chapter 13. He was so sorry. Not only had he committed adultery, he killed his best friend, her husband, trying to cover it up, and he knew he was wrong. But he repented, and you read of his penitence. Psalm 32, Psalm 51. So we're challenged to repent. And as we walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, the blood of his son, Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Peter said to those on Pentecost, after they had been convicted, killing Christ, they said, what shall we do? Kind of think that was the attitude of David, don't you? Peter told them, repent, change your ways. Walk with God. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, David was one who worshipped God. He was hungry for Him. One writes, David was hungry for God. He sought after God, had a passion for spiritual things. He tried to please God despite his failures. His actions showed him to be a God chaser. He wrote 73 psalms of worship. He may have written some of the 49 anonymous psalms. These psalms express a deep desire for God and heartfelt worship. And so centuries later, we use them to encourage us. What we remember from Saul's interaction with Samuel 
The Lord looks, sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward experience, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's actually when he was choosing David prior to that. When all of David's brothers came in one by one, they're not the ones. David wasn't even there. David should have been there. And he did come there. And he was anointed king in Israel. And even though he failed at a few times when he shouldn't have, but he still was a man after God's own heart because I think he recognized his failures. He dealt with them as such because he had a penitent heart. Because he loved the Lord his God and wanted to honor and please him. These are just a few of the qualities that we're going to examine in detail and maybe some others that we'll come up with. And so we don't want those to overwhelm us. They're just outward manifestations of someone's life when they were seeking God. Not perfectly. Sometimes prideful. Sometimes self-seeking. At times broken. But the life of David gives us some instruction. As God looks upon us, People after his own heart. And so I want to close with, if I can find it because I didn't mark it, but you'll know the story. I'll just turn to Mark. His gospel is the shortest one. I want to say it's in Mark chapter 10. I may be wrong. And if not, I'll just tell it to you from memory. Yes, the request of James and John in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Get this. Tell me what you think. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Grant us, and they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Well, Jesus said, you, and I'm summarizing now, you don't know what you're talking about, what you're asking for. And, but get this. He says, you're going to go through a lot. He said, indeed, you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Who is that? Someone of old like David? Or is it someone new like someone sitting here today? We're not told who it is. We're just told it's for those for whom it is being prepared. Is that position open? If it is, it will be open to the one who has a heart for the things of God. God is watching us. God is watching us. From a distance, God is watching us. I don't know where you are today. But I want you to know that God is watching and he's aware of what's going on in your life. He wants you to have a heart like David. He wants you to have a heart like God's, like his heart, that is seeking him. If you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, whether it be to be born again, to be put Christ on in baptism, or to come with concerns of your walk with God, or for any other reason, won't you please come to Jesus? Well, together we stand and sing this song for your encouragement.
Watch your hands, sir.